whenever we use punishment when someone had the best of intentions, mm -hmm. what we're doing is we're creating a culture of fear. Mm -hmm. Because then anyone, so if, if we punish things when people have bad intent, if, if every time that I hit someone at work, I get some kind of a punishment, every time that I call someone a name inappropriately at work, I get a punishment. People don't feel afraid of that mm -hmm. because they feel like I cannot hit anyone. That's pretty easy. It's I within can, your control. I can do that. Yeah. I can avoid this punishment mm -hmm. easily. Mm -hmm. However, when people feel like punishments are happening and there wasn't a clear way to avoid that, then they start to be afraid that they're going to receive the same. And well, and especially if those punishments are issued uh, sporadically, if those punishments are issued without full understanding of what happened, uh, this is like the, the random punishment that you get. And you don't know why it happened, and you don't know what you could have done to pre prevent it. Mm -hmm. This is like the abused dog syndrome, and that is the last type of team that you want to grow and, and train is that abused dog syndrome kind of team. People aren't working at their best. They're not uh, having big ideas or what our 17-year-old daughter, she always refers to things as being either big brain yep. or small brain. Yep. And people, if you want your people running at big brain. They cannot be afraid. Mm -hmm. They cannot be afraid. Welcome to The Critical Path with Mary and Jason, a podcast about business development, company culture, and loving the place you work just a little bit more. So, Mary, this is your 23rd annual performance review. Are we doing a, a marriage-based performance yeah. review? Yeah, and I, I wanted to let you know, I want you to work a little bit harder and smile more. Mm. Yeah, that's a nice, that's a nice, <laughs> see, that motivates me. Ah. To not smile. <laughs> so this is episode 61, and we're talking about something we hear questions about a lot, which is how to motivate people. Yeah, so it's always a core goal that, that I have on projects that I've been on to, to understand what motivates the team and build those games so that they are operating uh, at full capacity and and they come to work and they're energized and they're happy mm -hmm. uh, but for a lot of folks it can feel like it's unattainable or it's a lot of work and we're going to talk about uh, how some of these things work a little bit behind the scenes so that you can understand how to better understand the motivational theory and how can you bring that motivation to your teams yeah, absolutely so housekeeping before we get started uh, we'll probably be a little bit less focus today because we are getting ready to take a week of vacation. Woohoo! <laughs> uh, it's our 23rd wedding anniversary mm -hmm. this week, yeah. and so we're celebrating. That's why Jason said it's my 23rd performance review. Yeah, that's right. Good luck. Yeah. So uh, we're talking about uh, how to motivate your team. Yeah. Uh, and where you start is trying to understand the core concept of motivation. Yeah. So the definition of motivation are, is any force that energizes, directs, or sustains a person's efforts. So anything that we do that is going to boost our team in the direction of going the way that we want them to go, the mm -hmm. way that the ship is going. To jump through the hoop. Yep. Right? Absolutely. What What do we have to do? What What's required in order to... Uh, heard a group of seventh graders. 
So when what we, does it take to to get your kids to clean up their room? What does it take? Good luck with that one. <laughs> what does it take to get your team to show up on time? That's like level six, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So the first kind of way that we want to talk about this are the different levels of motivation. Mm-hmm. So the first level of motivation is just motivating people to join your team. Mm-hmm. So if you do a lot of interviews and you find people that you like and then they don't hire in, that is level one. You're or, having trouble motivating people to join your team. Or if you don't get a lot of applicants. So if you mm-hmm. get the feeling like there aren't qualified people out there, yep. well, is it a problem of visibility? Is it a problem that that they don't understand your organization? Mm-hmm. Is it a problem that your organization is off on tone in terms mm-hmm. of, of what the people are looking for who are available in the market now? Yep. Well, and that's something we actually talk with clients about a lot is mm-hmm. how to reach applicants mm-hmm. because a lot of times people have an impression of what's out there that is based on the applicants that they're getting. So if the only way that I ever get applications is I go into a Reddit called, I hate my life and I want to die. <laughs> You're going to find certain types of people there. And and that's where I post my job postings. Mm-hmm. And if my job posting looks like, hey, want to work somewhere that is you're going to be constantly trapped in the grind. Mm-hmm. You're going to be miserable. Nothing you do is ever going to be good enough. That's that's an extreme example. But if that was my posting and if that's where I put it, I would only get a very particular kind of applicant. And it wouldn't be because better people aren't out there. So how we motivate... You, you basically have the wrong bait. You have the wrong tool to mm-hmm. catch those people. Mm-hmm. And I think we, we've talked previously about... Uh, many times we feel like we have a recruiting problem mm-hmm. when in fact we have a culture problem. So mm-hmm. so we've discussed that previously, uh, but today we're talking about the idea that the first hoop that you're trying to get folks to jump through is being willing to join your team, to yep. join your company. So then it follows that the second step is getting them to stay. Yeah, it was uh, episode 25 that was recruiting problem versus culture. That was a long time ago. It was, yeah. So, yeah, getting the, this next hurdle as a team lead is to get your people to stay. So if you have a problem of consistent turnover, you consistently lose people, uh, they, they leave, they quit, they won't stick around. Mm-hmm. Again, uh, it's, it could be similar in nature in terms of your onboarding process, your filter process, your, your procurement of new talent process. Mm-hmm. Um, are you actually setting your people up for success or do they kind of get in, look around and realize that this is the wrong place for them? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So then once we have convinced them to join and we've convinced them to not quit mm-hmm. or leave, the next piece is convincing them to come to work regularly and on time. This is a little bit like Maslow's hierarchy where we're mm-hmm. kind of operating at, at the higher level one step at a time. So how do we get people to show up? How do we get them to show up on time and consistently be present in the work that we're asking them to do? Yep. So those first three levels are kind of the base uh, again, if you think about Maslow's hierarchy where we say people need to have shelter, have food, have like security, know they're going to be okay before they can really work on those higher levels of thinking. In the same way, we need to have people join, stay, and show up to work before mm-hmm. we can really start talking about goal setting and higher levels of motivation. Mm-hmm. So those base three, if you're having trouble with those base three 
then that is definitely indicative of a deeper problem and mm-hmm. something that you need to strategize about. Yeah. But we're going to assume that most organizations that are kind of up and running and, and doing okay, you probably have those first mm-hmm. three. You probably have a team of people who will show up to and, work. And if you don't, reach out. Yeah, help. if you don't, there's stuff you can do. But yeah. that's not what this podcast is yeah. really going to focus on. So then the next level is getting them to perform at a high level. So mm-hmm. you're, you're, you have a team who is highly productive and they have the capability to produce consistent quality work. They will generally put out the amount of work that is expected and the quality of work that is expected. That's perform. It's not perform at a high level even. Mm-hmm. It's just perform. Mm-hmm. So once they're showing up, we can have team members who are showing up, but they're not performing. Mm-hmm. They're underperforming. Mm-hmm. And that means we need to motivate them to perform. Mm-hmm. And then the last step, the step five, is uh, exhibit good citizenship. So this is the point now where they are uh, they're offering ideas. Mm-hmm. They are... They're performing above and beyond. They're superstars. They are leading their teams. They're this taking is... initiative to make sure that no one's left behind. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking after after the business like it's a community and it's mm-hmm. a community that they care about. So those are really the two levels, again, that we're really talking about today is, A, what do you do when you have people that are consistently underperforming? How do you motivate them to perform? Or if you have a team who... They're performing, but they're just doing the bare minimum. And we get a lot of questions about that. How do I... Checked how, out. They're checked out. They're mm-hmm. barely there. How do I get people to to take that next step? Uh, and, and, and to put it uh, in, in the plain vernacular, to give a damn. Yeah. How do you get them to give a damn? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. To take ownership. Mm-hmm. So uh, the first thing you got to talk about when you're talking about motivating is setting goals. Because that is the single most powerful way to motivate people mm-hmm. is not for you to set goals for them, but to convince them to set goals for themselves. They're much more likely to actually engage with those goals if they're the ones who created them in their own words. Mm-hmm. So the best way to manage people is not to create goals for them and then beat them over the head with them, mm-hmm. but to support them in creating their own goals and then to build that system that you are helping them stay accountable to their own goals and created. Obviously, they need to meet the metrics of the, the larger company and you provide coaching to help them dial in those goals so that we're in alignment for what those are. Yep. So the important factors, so we talk a lot about SMART goals and most of you have probably heard of SMART goals and this is just kind of a little bit different spin on it. Uh, when you are helping team members to set those goals, you want to make sure that they are meaningful to the employee. Mm-hmm. So if we have them setting goals and we're encouraging them to set goals that have meaning for the company and our bigger performance, but don't necessarily mean anything to that employee, they're not going to be motivated to meet that goal. It needs to be meaningful to them. Mm-hmm. So it's not meaningful enough. Uh, it doesn't count if we just say it does. Mm-hmm. It has to have some sort of hook or some sort of tie to them uh, that that will compel them to perform even when the boss isn't looking. Mm -hmm. It needs to feel to them like it matters uh, in some way. Mm -hmm. So the second part is we need to make sure these goals are acceptable to them. Mm -hmm. Uh, We need to make sure that these goals sit in alignment with their personal values. And that's important because if you have a car salesman who is supposed to sell cars at all costs 
And they're not going to sleep well at night if they feel like they sold this old lady a car that wasn't going to take care of her. You've got a, a value alignment. Mm-hmm. And we see this actually more than you think. Uh, it's I think people often think, well, this is construction. People people don't, their values don't really come into play here. Yeah. But they do. Well, and they come into play in a big way when we're talking about safety culture. Absolutely. Uh, when when they see safety culture disregarded or if we're creating goals that will put people's safety at risk, mm-hmm. uh, they'll have big moral qualms about that. Yep, absolutely. So we need to make sure that whatever the person's values are, that these goals that we are coaching them to set mm-hmm. align with those values, that they feel like they're doing the right thing, that they feel like they're doing a good thing. Mm-hmm. Anytime we set goals that are not in alignment with someone's values, then we're setting up a, we're setting them up to fail. Mm-hmm. And this is a big part of why we start with our compass code and strategy, where this is our, mm-hmm. our cultural alignment session. Uh, where we're making sure that we've created a, a compact, we've created a charter mm-hmm. that we can all get behind and we can keep ourselves accountable to the decisions that we're making. Yeah, absolutely. So goals, good goals should be challenging, but attainable. Mm-hmm. So there are really two pieces there because if they're easy goals, they're not going to motivate people. Mm-hmm. Easy goals don't motivate people. And I'll oftentimes use easy goals at the onset of working with the team Mm -hmm. because I'm trying to just get them into the habit of jumping through the hoop and I'll give them nice, easy goals to Mm -hmm. kind of break in the process and get comfortable with, Mm -hmm. with that, that involvement. But when we're going through the process of setting those real goals, we're not in practice mode anymore. And we actually want to have some sort of engaging challenge. Well, and how I see that is we're going to be talking a little in a minute about Mm -hmm. kind of consequences of the goals and how we use those to motivate people as well. Mm -hmm. So I think when you're setting them those very easy goals, those goals themselves are not motivational. Mm -hmm. Those easy goals themselves are not motivational. So when we're giving them those training wheel easy goals, we need to make sure that we're rewarding that in Mm -hmm. some way, even if it's just a pat on the back. Oh, sure. Because the reward... A goal that is motivational, it can carry a lot of weight on its own Mm -hmm. to motivate people. We can set goals that are not motivational, but if we're going to do that, we need to make sure we're we're fitting that motivation in somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Challenging but attainable because Mm -hmm. if we give them goals, this is kind of like if you ever played with a a puppy or a kitten, Mm -hmm. um, if you don't let them get the ball or don't let them get the thing, um, eventually they give up. Mm -hmm. So if we give them goals that they cannot attain, eventually that's going to become demotivational for them. So it's really important to to get that level of difficulty right, that if it's too easy or too hard, it's going to defeat the purpose. And the last piece here has to do with uh, the specific nature of the goal. So did we mm-hmm. did we identify exactly what the goal means? Is it in delivered or communicated in some measurable way that if I measure it, it's going to be the same reading as if you measure it? Uh, because many times when we have that subjectivity uh, or, or opinion built into the goals, do a good job. Mm-hmm. Well, it's going to be really hard and really divisive mm-hmm. when we actually try to evaluate our performance. Because often I feel like I did a good job, but the person who is managing me might not feel mm-hmm. like I did a good job. So that that ability to measure and get to the same answer is super important, especially if we're trying to, to start this process. Yep. So that was meaningful to the employee, acceptable with their personal values, challenging but attainable, 
specific and quantifiable. There's not like a, a fancy little, I'm, I'm sure I'm sure I could come up with one, but there's not a, a fancy. Well, if you do it backwards, it's scam. No, I don't think that's a good way to do it. I don't think you want to do it that way. You could do Macs, but if you're like us and you prefer PC to Apple, then it's not going to be a good one either. Not so much. <laughs> yeah. And finally, uh, using stretch goals. So stretch goals is a great way to keep all of your sort of motivational goals in that challenging but attainable level, mm -hmm. but still to provide those kind of extra mile. So stretch goals, when we're talking about that, those levels, that level four versus level five, mm -hmm. if we're trying to get people to basic performance, yeah. stretch goals are probably not what we want to use. We yeah. want to just give Keep them, it simple. give them good solid goals and mm -hmm. let them get those. Yeah. However, when we have those people who are performing at a base level and they need that extra challenge, then stretch goals are a great way to give them big challenges, extra challenges, challenges that they may not be able to actually meet uh, and let them feel like they have kind of achieved the impossible when they do. So if, if for all of the avid uh, Critical Path podcast listeners, uh, you'll probably know this, but for some of the newer folks, you might not. We try to build in gameplay to everything that we do. So all of the training, all of the development work that we put together, we try to incorporate games because we feel like it is a, a natural connection to create that motivation. And when we're talking about stretch goals, these are like the, the achievement challenges. These are like the, the super challenges. You don't worry about those when you're trying to figure out how to play the game. You mm -hmm. want to just start with the simple things, just get through the tutorial level. You want to make sure that everybody understands uh, what, how to score and, and how to basically participate. And don't get to those advanced settings until later. But stretch goals are super valuable and you want to make sure you use them when you sense that your team is ready for it. Yeah. So again, if they're underperforming, you don't want to use them. But mm -hmm. when you have a team that's basically doing just the bare minimum all the time, stretch goals is a great way to kind of break that, uh, break that rut that they're in. Mm -hmm. So with stretch goals, there are really two ways that we can set stretch goals. So there's what are called vertical well, stretch goals. A lot of people will associate with stretch goals. It's just more. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just more of the same thing. And so that's a vertical stretch goal. Mm -hmm. So when we say uh, make 10 sales and you're you're meeting what we expect. But if you make 20, you made a stretch goal. Mm -hmm. Something awesome will happen. Uh, so that is just a vertical stretch goal. It's just a higher. Just more. It's a higher goal. Mm -hmm. But then there are also and, and these are maybe more important for getting to that level five, getting to that person who is more of a good citizen as mm -hmm. opposed to just performing are what we call horizontal stretch goals. And that is when what we're asking of them rather than it just be a higher goal is to expand what they know how to do, mm -hmm. to attempt and learn a new thing. Whether we're asking them to come up with new ideas for ways that we could do things that we've never done them before, mm -hmm. whether we're asking of them that they uh, interact with some other kind of department or function at what, the company. What about if they're coaching a new team member to meet their goal? Absolutely. Right? That that you are basically meeting your own goals while you're showing somebody else how to do it. Absolutely. And by creating those goals, by creating those incentives, then you're you're changing the way that we think about achievement. Yeah, absolutely. You're you're giving them some understanding of what it is we would like to see them do. Yeah, the ideal 
community culture, the ideal company culture involves teaching others, mm-hmm. involves learning a new thing, involves taking on a new challenge that you haven't before. Mm-hmm. It's not always just more of the same. But we need to be careful. So anyone who's seen the movie Office Space. Who hasn't? Where, uh, so in, in, in case you haven't, because it has been a while now since mm-hmm. that movie was a big deal. Uh there's a, a restaurant, like a Applebee's type restaurant, and they're supposed to have personal flair. That Tchotchkes? Tchotchkes, the same with the restaurant. Tchotchkes. But it's, it, it reminds me of Applebee's. Mm-hmm. And so you're supposed to have these personal personal flair, flair yeah. which are your, your buttons that how, say how many are required? what you think, right? <laughs> and they give her a hard, they give the waitress, the server, a hard time because she always only wears the amount that they require. The of minimum her. level, the minimum number pieces of flair. Right. And and they're constantly saying, well, sure, you have the minimum, but we'd just like to see you express yourself more. Just more. So it's important if it's a stretch goal that we communicate it that way and that it's very clear that if people don't choose to take these on, that doesn't become a weight for them. That doesn't become something that we're constantly harassing them about. If it's a stretch goal, it means it's completely optional. Mm-hmm. And it's important that we see it that way. Yeah. So we also want to differentiate between individual goals uh, and, and the goals of the team. So in general, I mean, we can have individualized goals Mm -hmm. that are very personal, like I want to make it to my kid's soccer game, and that's probably not going to cause team problems. However, we want to be aware of whether we're trying to inspire competition, friendly competition, Mm -hmm. good competition, or if we're trying to inspire cooperation. Mm -hmm. So if we're looking to pull the team together and inspire more cooperation, we want to have team goals. Mm -hmm. We want to have a goal that says, Uh, This project team will do this thing. If what we're looking for is a little friendly competition, Mm -hmm. then we should have those goals be individualized. But trying to think about it in that way, understanding that uh, the more that we set up individualized goals where every single person is going to try to make this mark, that's going to set up a competitive environment. So we commonly will ask the question, could you build a game that would make your kids fight 100% of the time? Mm-hmm. And the answer is most often yes. Mm-hmm. I could absolutely make a game that would cause the kids to fight. And so you look at the, the different elements of what that game would look like. And you have things like scarcity. And you have things like mm-hmm. only one winner. And you have things like if I win, you lose. There are different ways you can build that game. And and then you ask the, the opposite question. Could you build a game that would encourage people to cooperate? Mm -hmm. Well, yes, in the same way. So I think when we're building our team goals, mm -hmm. we should be thoughtful about how, what elements we're using and whether they inspire conflict or whether they inspire cooperation. Well, but I think there are really three pieces there, right? Because there's conflict, Mm -hmm. there's competition, and there's cooperation. Because Mm -hmm. the competition isn't always a bad thing. No, no, no. We absolutely can make use of people's natural competitive drive yeah competition is great mm -hmm. but it's important to understand when we're using competition and to only use it in teams Mm -hmm. that are ready for it yeah and and use it intentionally so you never ever want to create a game or or an incentive structure uh, a motivational structure where you've unintentionally used competition. Mm-hmm. You, if you're using competition, you always want to make sure you know what you're doing mm-hmm. and you're you're doing it with care and with intention. Well, and understanding the difference between when you're creating competition mm-hmm. versus when you're creating conflict. Because if you create conflict, 
then that's going to not be a great thing. So let's let's give three examples and let's do parenting examples. Okay. So if I want to build a game that's going to cause conflict, this is the example I always use. You mm. may have heard me give this one before. That if I say to my kids, if both of you do your chores, you both get your allowance. But if one of you does not do your chores, the other one gets their allowance. Mm-hmm. This is a game that fosters conflict. This so we, we ask, what does that incentivize? Well, it incentivizes one kid to do their chores and to actively try to get the other kid to not. Mm-hmm. So Because they win twice. Mm-hmm. So then to encourage competition, or I'm sorry, to, let's go to cooperation next. Mm-hmm. To encourage cooperation, then the example would be uh, if you both do your chores you both get an extra $5. Mm-hmm. But if you don't both do your chores, then you both then whoever did the chores just gets their regular allowance. Yeah, base so, pay. Yeah, so this is going to encourage them to work together. It's mm-hmm. going to encourage them to help each other out a little, to encourage each other to get those chores done because they both want that bonus. Mm-hmm. So if I wanted to do competition, a way that I could encourage healthy competition is if instead I said, if you both do your chores, you both get your allowance. And in addition, instead of that kicker $5, we're going to go out for ice cream. Mm-hmm. However, whoever did more bonus chores mm-hmm. gets to decide where we go for ice cream. Right. So everybody so wins. Everybody gets ice cream. Mm-hmm. It is unlikely to cause a fight that one of them gets to choose the place over the other. I don't know of any ice cream places that both my kids don't like. Right. However, if I asked where they wanted to go, they'd always both pipe up with a different answer. Yeah. So now I'm engaging that competitive drive to get to win and to get to pick the place. Mm-hmm. But the person who didn't win is not going to be demotivated. They, they, they're not going to be demotivated. They mm-hmm. still get ice cream. They still get to go out. Yeah. So we want to make sure when we build a competitive game that we're using that competitive drive, but we are not we are not building conflict mm-hmm. into the system. Yeah. And that's important to think about. Mm-hmm. So we want to make sure that we're thinking about all of the, the different dimensions of, of what we're asking people to do uh, of, of the outcome and not just focused on productivity. We're thinking about things like how this work gets executed. Mm-hmm. So uh, when we are, when we're, promoting things like how well teams communicate with one another, Mm -hmm. uh, how well the safety is functioning, how, um, you know, pieces like that are going to help us to promote the right things. Whenever we focus too hard on just productivity, productivity, we just want to see profit. Just numbers. Just profit, profit, profit. People can start to feel like a cog in the machine. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, when we do things again, so we do compass code and strategy. Mm -hmm. And with compass code and strategy, one important piece of that is we decide what what do we want to see in a team? What do we want people to show? So this could be teaching. What do we want our world to look like? And then when people see that, we want them to report it. Mm And acknowledge and reward and and promote. So every time then that someone takes a minute to teach me, I'm going to go just drop in a quick note that says, hey, I want everyone to know that this person helped me and it was awesome of them. And so if we're doing things like tracking how many of those recognitions get turned in, Mm -hmm. that's a great way to make it clear that we aren't just looking for profit. We aren't just looking for cogs in a machine. We want to see other good things Mm -hmm. happening in the team too. And when we take care of the whole team, we do have productivity and we do have profit. Uh, But there's a little bit of a, a cart before the horse 
faith piece that comes into play. But we want to be thinking about base reinforcement elements. Well, and productivity goals are fine. Mm -hmm. It's just that they shouldn't all be productivity goals. It's that we should make sure and cover all of our bases, not Mm -hmm. just productivity. Yeah. So going back to Psych 101, we want to think about the different types of reinforcement that we have access to. So if we're creating a game uh, to to incentivize motivation, to Mm -hmm. motivate the team and get them to move, uh, what are the different types of reinforcement that we have access to? Well, and I think this is really uh, important to bring in because there's one specific piece of this that I think everyone uses all the time in mm-hmm. construction and doesn't mean to. So we have four kinds of reinforcement. We have positive reinforcement. So everybody knows what that means. That yeah. means something good will happen if you do the thing I want you to do. You get a cookie. Here's a cookie. Yep. So negative reinforcement actually doesn't mean what most people think it means because generally people think negative reinforcement means something bad happens, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't. Mm -hmm. It's still negative reinforcement in psych is still actually a positive thing. Mm -hmm. And what it means is that I am going to take away a bad thing Mm -hmm. that you don't want to happen. Mm -hmm. So uh, what's an example of a negative reinforcement it's, it's harder to, to describe than here's a cookie, right? But I mean, so every day... Taking away disapproval? Every day, every morning at our morning meeting, uh-huh. I walk by and I wrap everybody's knuckles with a ruler. Mm-hmm. But if you do a good enough job... You don't get your I knuckles I won't wrap wrapped. your knuckles. <laughs> that is negative reinforcement. And it, we see this all the time yeah. in construction, yeah. negative reinforcement, mm-hmm. where basically there are two states. Uh-huh. There's I'm in trouble because yeah. I messed up. Or nothing is happening because I didn't mess up. I I worked on a project where we had a bit of a tyrant for a a PM. And uh, the way that it was described is that he had sights. They were like laser sights. And I'm Mm -hmm. pointing with my fingers uh, that he would would pan through the office basically Mm -hmm. when he's on a rampage. And your goal was to be just good enough so that his sights don't, don't rest on you. Right. And that is the example of of negative reinforcement. The idea is that you'll do whatever you can so that those sites don't get comfortable on you. Yep, absolutely. So then there's punishment, and that one's easy. Mm -hmm. It's a bad thing that happens. And finally, there's extinction. So extinction refers to when we don't apply any reinforcement, positive or negative. And this one I see all mm-hmm. the time. Where nothing happens, good or bad. Mm-hmm. So the truth is, when we talk about negative reinforcement, that happens all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's, again, the idea that the good thing that can happen is that no bad thing happens. Um, but the truth is, so it, it, it probably... That's pretty, pretty twisted. It is. And yeah. it probably shouldn't happen as much as it does. Yeah. But negative reinforcement leads to the behavior that we're trying to encourage. Mm-hmm. It doesn't lead to better morale necessarily. This is uh, punishments will continue until morale improves. (laughs) I thought it was beatings. Whatever it is. Uh, So, but still, at least we're reinforcing what we mean to reinforce Mm -hmm. it. It's intentional. It is intentional. Extinction, what that says is if someone does the right thing Mm -hmm. and nothing good happens and nothing immediately bad is withdrawn or Mm -hmm. they're not protected from something bad, if they feel that nothing nothing happens... Mm -hmm they will not be motivated in any way to repeat that behavior. Mm -hmm. And this happens 
all the time where someone does a good job, does a good job, does a good Doesn't job. Doesn't get recognized in any way. No one recognizes it or says anything. And then when they do a bad job, they get that punishment, mm-hmm. whatever, even if that punishment is just disapproval. Mm-hmm. They get that negative consequence. And what they learn is to stay out mm-hmm. of the sights. What well, they learn. You, you hear this from contractors all the time where uh, whether we're talking about a sub to a GC or a GC to an owner, no good deed goes unpunished. Mm-hmm. And, and the idea behind that is uh, contractors will do all sorts of good things, mm-hmm. uh, trying to build goodwill and build good karma and relations with the, the owners or whoever they're contracted to. And those things rarely, if ever, get seen, acknowledged, mm-hmm. recorded. Therefore, when bad things happen, mm-hmm. all of the good things that they've done to date, it, they're forgotten. Mm-hmm. And and this is kind of the manifestation of that extinction happening on the professional level. But at the team level, this happens all the time. Absolutely. Where sure. no one is all at the, the helm and no one is paying attention to the actual performance of the team. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So... It's important that we understand that. And and again, so people will say to us, well, I can't afford to give someone a raise every time they do a good job. Doesn't have to be a raise. There is this misunderstanding, and we're about to get a little deeper into this, mm-hmm. in the industry, that the only reward is a raise. And, and the money. the only punishment is a firing. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. So we can either give you a permanent bump in pay, mm-hmm. or we can fire you. Mm-hmm. But there's a whole lot of gray area between Absolutely. So it can be as simple as saying, hey, great job, right? I, I saw what happened there. I saw uh, saw your numbers this week. Mm-hmm. I saw what you did. Mm-hmm. Good work. Yeah. It could be you get the uh, company bobblehead for the week mm-hmm. because you did a thing that we need to acknowledge and everybody needs to know you did it. Mm-hmm. So it's important that we do something to acknowledge the good behavior because otherwise we're going to have that extinction effect where they learn only to stay out of the sights. They don't learn to, this is the biggest reason why we don't see good citizenship is there is a perception that if I go above and beyond, nothing will happen as a result of it. So it's really important to think about that when we're trying to motivate people. Because if you find that people aren't raising to that level five in your organization, that's probably the problem that you have. Yeah. What kind of game did we build? Have we created the environment where that sort of thing is actually reinforced? Yeah. Have we actually created an incentive structure for mm-hmm. it? Uh, have we created micro rewards that can help us get there? Yeah. Or do we have kind of an anemic culture where just staying out of the sights of the boss, that's the best you can do. Yeah, absolutely. So the next piece here is just to go a little deeper into the conversation about punishment, because again, there is punishment beyond firing someone. Mm-hmm. Um, but punishment is any kind of a negative consequence that we apply. We want to make sure we never use that if the employee doesn't have control mm-hmm. over what went wrong. So we can discourage behaviors in different ways. We can discourage through extinction. We can not do anything if we don't like what happened. But if something goes wrong, we should never punish someone who had no control over that outcome for it. And. If there's a question about it, you should give them the benefit of the doubt. Mm-hmm. Because if we want the whole team to be motivated, we want to make sure that we're not unfairly issuing those punishments mm-hmm. in in this game. We want to make sure that that we assume good intent. We assume everybody is, is all trying to do their best. Yep. So the second thing here, and this is also super important, never, ever, ever punish someone when they take a risk 
that is within their scope. Mm-hmm. So within what this their, means, their level of authority. Yes. So mm-hmm. if they have the authority to make this call and they take a risk that it's obvious that the risk that they took was intended to try to make something good happen and it didn't pan out. It went badly. Yeah. It went wrong. Again, we should reinforce. We should train. It doesn't mean we should do nothing about it, but we don't ever want to punish that because as soon as we start punishing people for taking risks that were within their ability and within Mm -hmm. their scope to take, what we do is we basically send the message that we don't want anyone to ever take a risk Mm -hmm. and good things don't happen when Mm -hmm. we don't take risks. So, so that's almost, a really important piece. Almost all of the inventions that, that we use today, almost all of the, the good technology that, that we're, we have access to came at the product or at the outcome of someone taking a risk. Yeah. Someone took a risk and this new thing was discovered. Mm-hmm. And I think that it's important that if we want to stay on the leading edge, we want to create a culture of creativity and opportunity. Uh, we want to, to create a culture of learning. Mm-hmm. Encouraging folks to take risks within their their scope of authority, mm-hmm. it it creates that dynamic environment where where people might have fun, yeah, and we might develop something really cool along okay. the way. So I'm a project manager, and I decide we're going to use this different piece of software mm-hmm. within our team for this project. For this project, let's see what happens. And I roll with it, and. Everything falls apart and everyone communicates poorly because the information keeps getting dropped and lost and everything is going wrong. The way to approach that is not to punish that person for doing that thing, but to say, okay, so this obviously didn't work out. First of all, good job Mm -hmm. trying something new. First of all, let's reward the risk taking. Second of all, let's understand better why it fell apart Mm -hmm. so that next time we try this, we try something that has a better shot at working. Mm -hmm. What went wrong? And how can we take steps next time to protect against it? Yep. And understanding that, you know, uh, there's a a science-based kind of uh, mantra that I love. That is that we never come out of it with nothing. Never Mm -hmm. come out of a failure with nothing. We always come out with data. Mm -hmm. There's always data. So every failed attempt at something, we can learn from and we have moved forward as a result of learning. And the only real failure there is the failure to collect the data. Yes. So if you go through that process and something doesn't go right and you're angry because a person underneath you took a risk and it didn't go well, Mm -hmm. the only person you should be angry at is whoever's not recording what happened. So anytime we use punishment when someone couldn't control the outcome, we use punishment when someone took a risk, really anytime we use punishment when someone had the best intentions. Mm -hmm. Did they deliberately do it or not? Whenever we use punishment, when someone had the best of intentions, mm-hmm. what we're doing is we're creating a culture of fear. Mm-hmm. Because then anyone... So if if we punish things when people have bad intent, if, if every time that I hit someone at work, I get some kind of a punishment, every time that I call someone a name inappropriately at work, I get a punishment, people don't feel afraid of that mm-hmm. because they feel like, I cannot hit anyone. That's pretty easy. It's within your control. I can do that. I can avoid this punishment Mm -hmm. easily. Mm -hmm. However, when people feel like punishments are happening and there wasn't a clear way to avoid that, then they start to be afraid that they're going to receive the Mm -hmm. same. Well, and especially if those punishments are issued uh, sporadically, if those punishments are issued without full understanding of what happened, 
this is like the, the random punishment that you get and mm-hmm. you don't know why it happened and you don't know what you could have done to pre- prevent it. Mm-hmm. This is like the abused dog syndrome. And that is the last type of team that you want to grow and, mm-hmm. and train is that abused dog syndrome kind of team. People aren't working at their best. Mm-hmm. They're not uh, having big ideas or what our, our 17 year old daughter, she always refers to things as being either big brain yeah. or small brain. Yeah. And people, if you want your people running at big brain, they cannot be afraid. Mm-hmm. They cannot be afraid. So it's really important that we think about that. And again, I absolutely think people should use punishment. Mm-hmm. I think, again, people often say, well, there's nothing I can do about this behavior because I'm not ready to fire them. So mm-hmm. nothing I can do. You should use punishment, yeah. but only when people are acting with ill intent. Yeah. That's so it. As, as a PM, I would use a big carrot and a small stick mm-hmm. and I'll use those together. So basically, mm-hmm. you're, you have a bigger incentive, a bigger motivator to do the right thing mm-hmm. and a small punishment that comes along with not doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. And, and then that way they're properly motivated. They have a good reason to want to, to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. And they have a lesser, it's not a fearful reason, mm-hmm. but it's basically a disincentive uh, that encourages them to move in the right direction. Yep. So, so finally, and we're gonna we're gonna go through this lightly because this is kind of the next level theory um, of of motivation. But just if you if you are trying to use something to motivate people, and you feel like everything we've talked about, you're like, yep, check, 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 mm-hmm. got all of that. Yep. Now what? The last thing to watch for, the last reason that you will try to motivate people and fail, comes back to what's called expectancy theory. And again, this is psych. Mm -hmm. So expectancy theory says people will behave based on the perceived likelihood that their effort will lead to a certain outcome and how highly they value that outcome. Mm -hmm. So what this means is you have three pieces. One piece is expectancy. Do I think if I do a good job, it will actually result in making this mark, Mm -hmm. making this goal. What's the likelihood that I'll actually get a concrete reward? Mm -hmm. So for example, if it's my job to go around and make sure everything is staying safe on the job and everybody is doing their job to be safe. And then what you measure me based on is profitability Mm -hmm. of the project. Right. I can do my job 100%. I can knock it out of the park and that project can still not be profitable Mm -hmm. and it can have nothing to do with what I did. Mm -hmm. I absolutely can negatively impact the profitability, but I cannot positively impact the profitability. Mm -hmm. And in fact, me doing a good job is kind of divorced Mm -hmm. from the profitability. Yeah. So that would be a problem in expectancy. Mm -hmm. I don't expect that I can change whether or not that outcome happens. Mm -hmm. So, That's one breakdown. Mm -hmm. Second is what we call instrumentality. So that means, okay, so yes, I can influence the goal that you set me or that we set together. Do I believe that the good thing that you're telling me is going to happen will happen if I do it? Mm -hmm. So if I believe that I could absolutely, I'm a project manager now. I can turn out a good project, a profitable project. Will a reward happen if I do? Will the reward that we talked about, or again, if we didn't talk about any reward. Um, when this kind of comes back to trust. 
do well, but it's it's trust, but it's also clarity, mm -hmm. right? Because what do I expect is going to happen? So yeah, if we sat down and we set goals together, and then you told me something would happen, then do I trust you that that will happen? Mm -hmm. But if you don't tell me anything is going to happen, if I make my goals, what do I think is going to happen? Mm -hmm. And how likely do I think I can predict it? Mm -hmm. So if I don't think anything good will happen, if I make this goal, then I'm not motivated to make the goal. Right. And right. Or if nothing else, you're less motivated. Or, you know, or if I don't think anything bad is mm -hmm. not going to happen. Right. 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 <laughs> Which, but, but how do you want to build the game? I think mm -hmm. in a perfect world, you build a game so that they believe that a good thing will happen. Mm -hmm. They believe that they have the ability to affect the outcome. Mm -hmm. uh, they believe that, that they actually want the thing. Mm -hmm. So again, expectancy. Mm -hmm. Do I think my effort will actually lead me to meet this goal? Two, instrumentality. Do I think I know what will happen mm -hmm. if I do well or if I do poorly? Do I know? Three, valence. How do I feel about what is going to happen? Mm -hmm. So if you tell me that if I can beat a certain level of profitability on my project, you're going to send me to Hawaii, then one, do I think I can make that number? Two, do I believe you'll actually send me to Hawaii? Mm -hmm. Three, valence is, do I want to go to Hawaii? Right. Do I actually want it? If I hate sand and I hate it where it's hot, yeah. then maybe I'm not motivated by right. that, even though I believe you will follow through. Mm -hmm. So those three pieces, that's kind of breaking it up into its three parts. Mm -hmm. And if all three of those don't exist, if I don't, A, believe I can do it, mm -hmm. B, believe I know what will happen mm -hmm. when I do it. Mm -hmm. C, care whether that happens. Actually want it to happen. Then I'm not going to be motivated to do the thing. And if you're looking for more detail in terms of gamification or, or how to create those environments, you have to go all the way back in our podcast to episode 17. Wow, that's way back. Uh, gamify your workplace. Uh, but if you're looking for extra resources, extra support, that's another place to, to check. Yeah, absolutely. So finally, the last kind of little piece here is that, that we would be remiss if we didn't bring into it is people say, okay, so I didn't do any of that. Mm -hmm. And I still have this guy over here who's really motivated. Yeah. And these other people just aren't. Mm -hmm. What gives? Yeah. And the piece here I is, want more people like him. Yeah. Is that we have really, there, there are two sources of motivation. There's intrinsic and there's extrinsic. So extrinsic means something external happened to motivate them. So that's really what we've been talking about all this time. All extrinsic. Is how to create extrinsic. Well, I mean, there's some intrinsic stuff in there. but A little how to, bit. How to create motivation where it doesn't exist. Yeah. Intrinsic motivation means... I love doing a good job so much mm -hmm. that a reward happens mm -hmm. without any of that stuff that we talked about. So if I, as a project manager, if I get a kick, I get a buzz mm -hmm. out of beating my own expectations at how I could do on a project, then I will be motivated to mm -hmm. do well on my projects without you having to set up any of this structure. But I, I feel like... There's a very real risk, and we see this happen all the time, where you have someone who is internally motivated, somebody who mm -hmm. is on fire and they're excited about the work they do, mm -hmm. and they bring that with them. And over time, mm -hmm. depending on the environment, it gets ground out of them through well, uh, through several pieces. And that's actually where I was just going, is mm -hmm. the conversation that... So this, this, all of this stuff that we've been talking about, it is how to motivate people, but also it's how to be careful that you aren't 
demotivating mm-hmm. people because you absolutely can have that opposite effect. Mm-hmm. You can cause people to not be motivated. If you've ever had a job and one day you realized at that job that you didn't want to go, mm-hmm. you just didn't want to be there. be there. You just didn't want anything mm-hmm. to do with it. Even though at some point in time, maybe you liked doing that job, you got demotivated. Well, and this comes back to the, the story that we told earlier, the question that we posed that was, can you create a game to make your kids fight? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you can create a game. Mm-hmm. Could you create a game that would make it less likely that they would fight? Mm-hmm. Well, yes. And so that's exactly what many folks do when they create games or create the culture. Uh, can you create a culture that demotivates your people, that causes them to be less interested, less engaged, less likely to want to come to work? And we have seen it happen. Mm-hmm. You absolutely can build that culture. Mm-hmm. But in the same way, can you create a culture that inspires people to grow and to help each other and to to think critically about the problem and bring creative solutions, take risks? Mm-hmm. Absolutely, you can build that. Yep. But all of that should be done with intention and with thought. Well, and this is another, so another point here is, so we talk about leadership, right? And we say, so when we're bringing Foreman up, which we're going to be talking more and more mm-hmm. here about our Foreman program, because yep. I'm really excited about it and we're still waiting for COVID to mm-hmm. let up to be able to teach it, but it's something that we're really looking forward to. But what we do often is we dump someone in that role and we don't give them any leadership training. And then a few people rise to the top because they have something intrinsic to them, something that naturally just, they have a feel for how to be a leader. And then everyone else washes out. And we're like, why are so few people capable of this job? Mm -hmm. Oh, what the truth is, is if we train everyone to be a leader, you'll find maybe 10% of people that you put into that role will be natural, just leaders. Mm -hmm. And then you'll have another like 60% of people who can be really great, really solid leaders if they just have the training. If they and have the support. You've got some amount at the bottom who it's just, just not can't. what they want to do. Yeah. They just don't like it. They yeah. don't want to do it. They don't They don't want any part of it. Yeah. So the truth of that is, so basically, all the time what we see is only that 10% rise to the top. And everybody constantly says, why aren't there enough good mm-hmm. leaders? But the truth is... They're missing that whole swath of mm-hmm. 60% of people who, if they just gave them some training, they could have six times more good leaders than they have. And this is the same thing that you can luck into people who are intrinsically motivated. You can luck into somebody who just really loves a good Excel sheet, you know? It's the it factor. They just have it. But there are so many more people who could be really great, really Mm -hmm. star players if they just had the right motivation. And you're missing out on all of those people if you aren't building this game. If they they had the proper structure. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to understand that just because there are people that we don't have to motivate doesn't Mm -hmm. mean we couldn't benefit from motivating everyone. Yeah. And, And they're happier for it, too. What else? I feel like did we, we did we kill it. We really covered it. Yeah. Uh, so appreciate everybody taking the time to listen. Uh, feel free to send us a comment or feedback if you have something you want to add. Yeah. 
Uh, and in the outtakes, you're going to hear that I wanted, <laughs> I wanted, because this is all like very like getting into psych and getting into yeah. textbook material, I wanted to give examples throughout this mm-hmm. episode using the Star Trek universe. Yeah. So if you would have liked to hear the Star Trek version of this, <laughs> let us know that too. Yeah. And, blame and Jason. I will, I will say I'm 100% wrong. Blame Jason. You'll hear more about it in the outtakes. <laughs> uh, so uh, we are holding uh, remote training, if anybody has interest in that. So we're doing lots of Zoom training uh, on Microsoft Project, uh, Blueprint Reading. We have Time Management, Outlook. Uh, and also another big one is uh, remote working. So we use OneNote or Microsoft Teams, and we'll help your team get comfortable with using that passive communication structure for how to work remotely. Yep. And we're helping people run projects, Mm -hmm. which is really fun work and really good work. So if you need some help getting a project team up to speed, then let us know. So we are this week, Mm -hmm. as you hear this, we are having our staycation. Yeah. Uh, And then we are going to come back. And the week that we return, we are going to be doing planning all week. We're going to be doing our strategic planning, our Cade strategic planning for the year. So I foresee maybe we will record an episode that mm-hmm. kind of gets into some of that, how we're doing it, because it's going to be a little different this year. Mm-hmm. We, we do strategic Str- planning every Strategic year. planning around COVID. Yes, mm-hmm. absolutely. Yeah. And, and kind of how we're coming up with how we're going to, how we're going to make sure we can keep moving forward. Mm-hmm. So if you want to know more, uh, you can find us www.arcadewayfinding.com. You can find us on thecriticalpath.com. Nope, the Critical Path Podcast. The criticalpathpodcast.com. I just edited that in. <laughs> you can find us on LinkedIn. Yep, Jason Sturgeon, Mary Sturgeon, Arcade Wayfinding. You can find us in West Seattle. So we are meeting with folks and having coffee, yep. uh, kind of on a one-on-one scenario. And if, I mean, we're, we are now approved to have small teams in the classroom with us. We haven't actually done it yet, but if that's something that you're looking for, it is a thing that we can now do. Yeah. What, what else? else? <laughs> Watch for it. Watch for it. Like, Star Trek would be a good one. But I feel like the only thing about it is we're so Star Trek nerds Mm -hmm. that like probably like a lot of the examples we give people Mm -hmm. would not really get because not everybody is as hard a Star Trek nerd as we are. Like doing a Stargate episode. It would be so good. Yeah. (laughs) But nobody would get it. Can't hang, you know? Nobody would get it. Can't hang. I know, but it feels like it should be a little nerdy because we're getting ready to go on vacation. We got to get into nerd mode. So what about Matrix? I mean, I feel like Star Trek is probably more relatable than Matrix. Is it? Plus, it feels like talking about Matrix feels wrong when we haven't even seen all of the movies in the trilogy. No, even just talking about the first one, right? Right. Where, like, uh, they're getting them to join, getting them to remain, and mm-hmm. not defect. Mm-hmm. Well, like, so the reason that I was, like, going, uh... That, that Star Trek, so again, Star Trek is great because the captains all motivate their teams in a lot of meaningful ways. I'm like, and I'm like, oh, well, join the organization. Like, there's when Hoshi didn't want to join, mm-hmm. and then like Scott Bakula had to go down and like talk her into it. No one, no one's seen that one. No <laughs> I one. saw that no one. That's all that it counts. Yeah. Anyway, that, that scene has never happened in Star Trek before. I've seen it happen always in Star Trek. I know, it's like 50 times. Like I know. Every series has a has a place like that. But I really like Hoshi, though. Damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a Star <laughs> See, oh, officer. Well, yeah, I mean, they had to constantly motivate Bones to stay in. Yeah. 
Yeah, I feel like we should do it. I feel yes. like we should go Star Trek. Man, I don't know. No? Okay. Like, come to work regularly and on time? Like, we're going to be talking about Wesley the whole damn time. No, because Wesley didn't have a job. He did. No way. Yeah. Well, later, for a minute, yeah, and then he went he off was, to... When he was, like, working on the bridge for his mom or whatever. Yeah, not really, though. Like, they and let he's, him... he's, like, always showing up late. They let him... I know, but that's dumb. Like, the episode where, like, Wesley, you really need to show up on time. End of episode. That never happened. It did. You don't remember that one? He, like, kept oversleeping. No. <gasps> I don't remember Wesley kept oversleeping. Yeah. Like... What like what about coming to work on time? Like what about the one where Data was the only one who wasn't in the time loop, uh-huh. and everyone else was in a time loop? If you're in a time loop, does it count as not coming to work on time? If you're in a time loop, you know. Are you gonna look up whether Wesley slept in? I, the last thing I want to talk about is Wesley Crusher. Like if I could talk about Star Trek all day and never mention Wesley Crusher, that's what I would do. See, Worf overslept in 2375. <laughs> <laughs> it's the year. I don't know. See? Anyway. In what episode does Picard say, shut up, Wesley? <laughs> that was one of the Google questions. Yeah. All right, so we're not doing Star Trek, or we are doing Star Trek? I I don't know how it threads. Okay, then we won't do Star Trek. I don't know how to do it. Stretch goals. Well, like, no, so, like, as you're talking through, then you're just using examples of Star Trek scenarios that happen. Okay, fine, we'll just talk about motivation, then. Yeah. This can just be the outtakes. (laughs) You can just have outtakes of talking about Star Trek and then deciding not to use it in the episode because Jason doesn't believe that our listeners are hardcore enough Star Trek fans to hang. I, I just Let it be said. I just don't see how how it lays over. It's fine. It's all. This is the outtakes. So if you love Star Trek, and if you wish this episode would have been about <laughs> Star Trek, blame Jason. Okay. It's his fault. Love it. He didn't think you were enough of a nerd. All right. <laughs> Ready to do the episode Ready. without Star Trek? Let's go. No Star Trek. Okay. You're a lie. <laughs> yeah, you, you didn't know that? Like, over the last 23 years? You're just figuring that out? Yes, I am. Okay, ready? Ready. <laughs> <laughs>